Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The people hear the gospel, they're moved by it. Peter tells them to repent, to turn to God. He tells them to confess the name of Christ, to be baptized, which is a confession. And then look what happens. Doors of devotion open up. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Repent, confess, devote. That's the way that the Bible lays it out for us. Our hearts shift as the Holy Spirit shifts our hearts in accordance with us choosing God's mind and choosing God's sight. Not by us working really, really hard to be a lot more spiritual, which is oftentimes just shame and guilt. And it's imprisoning. And a lot of us have been trying to do that most of our lives, and you're really tired of it, which is how a lot of you ended up here. So as we look at these five things that the apostles devoted themselves to, it's on, Justin. I just clicked it. Thank you. Five doors of devotion open to the apostles corporately. These five doors are sacraments, corporate worship, apostolic teaching, fellowship, and prayer. Now thus far in the last three weeks, we've taught on the first three. We taught about sacraments. We taught about corporate worship. We taught about apostolic teaching. In the month of October and November, we're going to be blatantly applying these five things to the body here at Cornerstone. And this is going to be some really, really good stuff. This is also going to be some really, really hard stuff. If you're not prepared to change, to be more in line with who God has made us to be, you shouldn't come in October and November. I'm not joking. Align your mind with God. Confess what God says. And then we'll walk through these together. What we're not going to do is grab Cornerstonians kicking and screaming to God's throne. I'm done begging people to love Jesus. I've just, I've had enough of it. What we will do is together move forward with Christ. Right? All right. So, sacraments, corporate worship, apostolic teaching. That, that, that's where we are. Today we're going to talk about fellowship and prayer. Now, out of the five of these things, which one of these is focused on the engagement of humans? <laughs> trick question. Some of you just sat there because you know how I am. Wrong. It's not fellowship. But that's what we think. That's what we think. When we look at these five things, we look at these five things, and they're, they're all really God-focused, right? Sacraments are about remembering Christ. Corporate worship is coming together to minister to the Lord together. Apostolic teaching is, you know, we open God's word and we hear what God says. Prayer, you obviously pray to God, so it seems like fellowship is the time when you and I get to be uh, the, the center of things. Right? And, and, and this is a deep misunderstanding. Um, note, number one, that in your text, it, call, it is not fellowship that we're invited to. It's the fellowship. Right? That's, that's, that's an important word because it points out something specific. It's not just, not just hanging out together, but it's uh, something specific. Um, when you and I 
engage in fellowship, um, we are engaging in something different, I think, than what we might have been taught. Speaking of what we've been taught, um, I mean, let's just think about some of the ways that fellowship has been presented to us and from us by the church in, uh, you know, and, and for that matter, by culture at large. Uh, next slide, please. This is what we tend to think of as far as, like, fellowship. We're a fellowship of believers, which means they're a bunch of humans together doing something, uh, generally enjoying something. Next, next slide. Generally what we enjoy is food. Um, when believers get together to fellowship, there's generally food, which isn't necessarily a bad thing at all. All throughout history, humans have been hospitable to one another, and absolutely, food, drink, fun, people, good stuff, right? Is this fellowship? Hmm. Next slide. Ladies fellowship. Ladies fellowship. Or if you prefer this one, this is uh, oh, w- women's fellowship. I can tell you where I got this. You'd be surprised. Next one. Anybody remember Freestyle Fellowship from back in the 90s? Anybody? No? Grin Riots? Fantastic hip-hop. If you are at all into jazz, hip-hop, fusion, you check out Freestyle Fellowship. That being said, I'm remembering now that it's very profanity-ridden. So, but man, I'm telling you, you're not going to find flow like you'll find in, in Freestyle Fellowship. Okay. 90s, that's where I grew up. What are you going to do? Fellowship, right? All right, the Fellowship of the Rings, that sort of thing. Also uh, taken and adapted into a uh, musical called Fellowship. I'm pretty sure, A, this is a church adaptation. Um, number two, I'm, I'm pretty sure both Legolas and Gimli are women. So if you're wondering where the bearded lady got to from the circus, she made it on Broadway. All right. Um, next, <laughs> go back, go back. Is it just me or does Gandalf look sort of like God, you know? <laughs> Or like representations of him, you know. Next slide. Next slide. Hey, what about us? All right, Cornerstone Christian Fellowship. This is how we think of ourselves. We so much so that we uh, that we name ourselves Cornerstone Christian Fellowship. So there's there's got to be something to this to this word. Next slide, please. Fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. Let me hear you say koinonia. How many of you have heard the word koinonia before? Look around the room. Look around the room. Okay, put your hands down. Folks, I could spout off 20 other um, Koine Greek nouns, and there would be very few hands up. Koinonia has become the most overused and poorly interpreted word in the Koine Greek. Um, we have taken this word, and we have pulled it out, and what it essentially means now to most of us is small groups. What's koinonia? Small groups. Why? Because that's where we fellowship. Right? So we take this koinonia concept and we, we package it. This is a definition here. Uh, koinonia comes from the word partnership. Uh, a community of believers in unity and freedom, living lives of worship in honor of Jesus Christ with abandon, exuberance, and joy. This is generally your, your, your stock church definition. All I did was Google koinonia and looked at the image church, and, and this is one of the things that come up. So generally what we as churches do is we take the concept of koinonia, we pull it out of the text, and we apply to it what it is that we hope that it will give our body based on what we see that we need from our body. And then we call that koinonia, a fellowship. And it's become, it, it's, uh, it's meant everything from community to, uh, you know, gatherings with, with food to um, fun times together as people who also like Jesus. Um, koinonia has come to, to mean these things. Um, one of the reasons for this, uh, little known fact, 
is the New International Version and the way that it chose to translate itself. In the English Standard Version, one of the, what I preach out of, what I consider to be the best translation, you'll find the word fellowship nine times. In the New American Standard Bible, also a fantastic translation, uh, uh, you'll find the word fellowship 12 times. Um, what makes both these, interpreta- or both these translations great is that they don't interpret for you. They tend to just give you the text and just, there it is. These are the words as, uh, as you can put them out understandably from Greek into English. The New International Version uses the word fellowship 102 times. So it's making some interpretive decisions for us. It's making some very interesting calls for us, particularly in the way that it views a sinner's relationship both to God and to one another in the Old Testament. Interesting stuff. Fellowship is a New Testament word, almost exclusively New Testament word. Well, in the ESV, it is exclusive. In the New American Standard, there's one time you see fellowship in the Old Testament. So, so all that to say, without getting into ridiculous amounts of bibliology for no good reason this morning, although it is a lot of fun stuff, as you can tell, it's just scintillating. I'm sure you're sitting on the edge of your seat as I'm talking about interpretive assistance and translations. Um, the, uh, the, the, the beauty of fellowship has gotten taken from it because we have come to think of fellowship as believers getting together to fill in the blank, right? And there's, there's lots of things that believers get together to fill in the blank, whatever that thing might be. Eat, talk. We've even come to the point where we, where community has almost become a, uh, um, a verb. What are you doing tonight? I'm going to do community tonight. You almost understand what I'm saying, right? That's interesting, isn't it? A, look at Acts chapter 2, and you see that it's, it's specifically set apart as the fellowship. And when we look at fellowship, and when you take it from a biblical standpoint, and what it means for believers to be together, that, the, that the, uh, one of the hallmarks of devotion for the early church, for the way the apostles set themselves up, was fellowship, was koinonia, was partnership, connected kind of thing. I mean, we have to agree with that because that's just pure language. What I'm wondering, though, is if in our interpretations and applications of it, we haven't become a bit skewed. Next slide, please. And then next slide. Because we tend to think of koinonia, we tend to think of fellowship as what? What is fellowship? What does it mean to be in community? What, what, what? I think that the Bible poses fellowship from a why perspective. So, take your Bibles now and turn to 1 John chapter 1. If you're looking for a good, definitive text on what fellowship is and what it's meant to be, you look at John, 1 John. If you want to see the application for the way that an apostle teaches about fellowship and its application to the church, you can look at the entirety of 1 John. Because 1 John 1 sets up the concept of fellowship, and then 1 John 2 through 5 sets up what it means for us to live and to walk in that. So if you're looking for a what, read 1 John. But I'll guarantee you, you're not going to find anything that we do now and call fellowship in 1 John. In fact, what you're going to find is a lot of really blatantly bold, black and white statements about love and hate. And this is fellowship. Fellowship. 
That's interesting, right? Because we tend to think of fellowship in regard to building relationships and, and walking with one another in and out through the ups and downs of life and support and care. And uh, we give support and care. We expect to receive support and care. This is what fellowship would, would look like. Uh, I mean, you're just not going to find that in First John. I'm not saying that doesn't, that doesn't happen. I'm just saying that that's not what we think of as, uh, as fellowship. That which we have heard, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Notice that John does not talk about eternal life as an object. He talks about eternal life as a person. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard. So there's a relationship going on here between John and the eternal life. We proclaim it also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts, our spirits, to, um, to receive from you your words, your concepts, your definitions, your ways of thinking. We give ourselves to you and ask you to speak through your word, through the application of your Holy Spirit to our hearts. Open our eyes that we might worship you, that we might know you, that we might stand truly in the fellowship that John calls us to here, fellowship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So here the Apostle John, he is writing to these people, and he's saying, we want to have fellowship, right? We want to be connected. We want to have relationship together. We want to be a community of believers. And so what he invites them into, if you notice, is a particular kind of fellowship, right? He doesn't just say, look at your text, he doesn't just say we want to fellowship together, we have heard, we have seen, we've heard, we proclaim to you that you might have fellowship with us. So yes, I do want to be connected to you. I want to be in fellowship with you. But you, according to John, you've got to come into my fellowship. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So clearly, fellowship is not two believers getting together to hang. That could be the context where fellowship takes place, but that is not the definition of fellowship. So let me lay out a few examples for us about what fellowship might look like when it comes down to this definition of indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We want to have fellowship with one another, but that fellowship 
is a fellowship that you will step into with us because our fellowship is with God and with Jesus. The reason why we can have fellowship with God and with Jesus is because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. So in other words, it seems that fellowship with God is something that very much is about light and dark, right? Light and dark. Here is this thing over here called darkness and this thing over here that is God dwelling in light. And these two things cannot hang out together, as we well know. Because if you're in a dark place and you light a match, what happens? Right? Light overcomes darkness. It always overcomes darkness. Light always wins. That's a great sermon. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. There you have it again. This is not, if we walk in the light together, we have fellowship with one another. That's not what the text says. The text says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So in other words, God is in the light, I'm in the light, God is defining the light, God is the light, and as two light-filled people, we walk in Christ and thus have fellowship with one another. He is not making this about human relationships. He is absolutely making this about you and I's relationship to God, particularly as it pertains to holiness and righteousness and the way that God calls us to live together and in his kingdom and as his people. If we say that we walk in the light, but we practice the deeds of darkness, we are making liars out of ourselves, and we do not have fellowship with him. If we do not have fellowship with him, then what? Then we can't have fellowship with one another, because we're in darkness. So this is not about human relationships, not at its core. The human relationships are the extension of the deeper fellowship that happens. That's why all five of these deeper doors of devotion that the early church steps into are all God-focused. Now, that's the teaching. Let's, let's flesh this thing out. What do you say? Sound like fun? Good. All right. Oftentimes, here's something that can happen. Mike, would you be a volunteer? Sure. Sweet. Come on up here. Mike's relatively new to Cornerstone, and he knows not to say, he doesn't know yet not to say no to that question. Um, Yes, please sit. Make yourself comfortable. All right, so here's Mike. Now, Mike and I are friends. Move your chair a little closer, Mike. All right, that's good. Mike and I are friends. And, and uh, this would be your typical Christian definition of fellowship, right? Um, so n- now, Mike and I have a friendship, and, and we enjoy one another. And generally, this is how Christians think of, of fellowship, right? Is that here's, here's you, and here's me, and here's we, and we, we gladly confess that our common bond together, and the reason why we love each other so much is because of Jesus. Like, we're all about that. Wonderful. It's Christ that... that that binds us together. Now, let's assume that Mike offends me, all right? Something about his smell or something like that, all right? Uh, it's, <laughs> so let's assume that there's a relational offense. Mike somehow steps over a line 
that, that offends me. Okay, this is what happens. All right. Man, I got the world's mightiest music stand. Okay. Now, this is what has happened. All right. Our fellowship, we would never say that our fellowship is broken. Right, Mike, hold my hand. Look, I love Mike. I love him. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to look at him. But, oh, Mike, for the sake of Jesus, oh, where's the bread and the cup? I've made everything clean. You know, everything's good, or everything's good on this level. You know? but, but, but in all actuality, there's this, right? And this is the offense. This is the thing. Mike and I have broken fellowship right now. Broken fellowship means that there is something in the way, right? So here's this offense. Here's this thing. And I, I, I engage Mike. I'm kind to Mike. I'm cordial to Mike. But we both know that's just a bunch of hogwash because we're humans who, who are really good at just deceiving ourselves and acting like everything's okay when in all actuality everything's not okay because there's this offense here. So, so after a while... Right? The offense stays here, but after a while, the hurt from the offense tends to go away. Because after all, time heals all wounds, right? I mean, don't, don't, aren't you completely healed from the horrible things done to you? you know, no, of course not. But that's ridiculous. But again, we self-deceive and we walk in this. We're not in the light when we do that, by the way. And so we can't have fellowship with one another. But now it feels like things are okay because, you know, t- a lot of time has passed and everything's all right. So now I start to engage Mike, but I start to engage Mike through this. Right? I am now engaging Mike through this. And so when I talk to Mike, I talk through the broken fellowship. And Mike talks through the broken fellowship here. But the bottom line is, is that I am viewing Mike through this. Right? And now the issue at hand is divisive. That's the issue of offense. Let's think about the concept of wisdom. Let's say that Mike and I are, uh, are, are friends and Mike needs help with something. So he comes to me for advice. You know, and he says, Jay, here's my issue. And we put the issue in front of us. And here's the issue. And now Mike is looking at the issue, and I'm looking at the issue. Nothing wrong with the issue. You know, maybe something's going on at YWAM that Mike needs some advice with. So there's this, there's a staff conflict or something. And so we're talking about the staff conflict, and we're doing this. And, and I'm looking at him saying, Mike, here's some, here's some good things that I, see, that I see God saying. And Mike's looking at this saying, this is how it's feeling. This is what's going on. This is what I'm observing. This is how we generally tend to together, like, do, do fellowship. And the problem in this situation, it should be very inherent, but I don't think that it necessarily is. Because the interesting thing in this is that um, there's this assumption in both of us that God is somewhere in this. But God hasn't been placed in it. You know what I mean? What's between Mike and I right now? The issue or the offense. That's right, the issue or the offense. From what I can tell from 1 John chapter 1, what's actually going on here, what, what the Apostle John is calling us into is that we together, as two brothers in Christ, when we have an issue that we need to talk about and some wisdom that we need to talk about, this needs to be here. And now I talk to Mike through Christ and, and through the work of Christ, right? And so here's, 
here's an issue. And this issue now, I mean, where, what's primary in this situation? You know what I mean? And this issue has suddenly become small, and, 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 and Jesus is, is everything. And Jesus is actually mediating this concept with us and this conversation with us. This is fellowship. Right? Now, this is the easy kind of fellowship. Let's go back to the offense concept. So what does it mean for me to have an offense against Mike, to have been offended by Mike, and for me to see what this is? Because this is then how we try and do offense. But if you've ever tried to mediate offense like this before, with sort of Christ at the center, Mike over there looking at the offense through Jesus, me looking at the offense through Jesus, or trying to at least, it just doesn't work, right? Um, the reason why is because when, when offense happens, someone has to listen, right? Somebody eventually has to shut up and either stop defending or stop being offensive and instead do something different. So what God calls both of us to do, and one of us has to do it first, is actually, in the midst of this offense and this issue, one of us has to do this. One of us has to get up and leave our position and come around here and say, let me look at this with you. What's your perspective, Mike? And I see this offense now, not just through Christ, but I also see it through Mike. Right? And I'm looking through Mike's perspective and seeing me in the midst of this thing through Christ to the issue and now I have perspective. And then Mike would likewise, God willing, do the same. And he would come over here and we would together look at this and we would put the issue behind Jesus and we would look at this situation and Mike would seek to understand what's going on here. This is fellowship. Why is this fellowship? This is fellowship because Christ is primary. Not just a little primary. Not just mouth service primary. He is a big, huge thing in this relationship. In fact, he's actually the focal point when it comes down to it. So be it an issue that we need to work through together, or be it an issue of offense that we need to work through together, if I say that I want to have fellowship with Mike, but A, I'm not walking in the light, that I will never have fellowship with Mike because I can't have fellowship with Jesus. Jesus will never let another relationship take his primary spot. Not, 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 e- not even our marriages. You wonder why you can't resolve something in your marriage? This might be why. You can't fellowship with your spouse because Jesus isn't primary. You just happen to be a Christian family. Well, that's not, that, that's not it. It doesn't work. That's not, that's not God's economy. That's not God's, that's not God's government and way of doing things. And so, how I engage here is about being invited by Christ, by Mike. I want to have fellowship with Mike. Mike wants to have fellowship with me. But the fellowship that that we have is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And if I say that I walk in the light, but I walk in the darkness, then I am not anything except a liar. And his truth does not dwell in me. But if I walk in the light as God is in the light, then I can have fellowship with God and a fellowship with one another. Right? Okay, so that's one application. Mike, thank you. I appreciate it.
Let's work this thing in a group setting. So you people over there, back, back to Rod and, and Rissa. Uh, that's their email address, um, Ryan and Alyssa, uh, sort of like Brangelina. Um, they're getting married in less than 30 days, so that's great. Um, all right, you folks make a circle. Circle up. All right, now let's think of this as community. This is community here, okay? These people right now are the epitome of Christian community, and thank God for it. So what we have is, is a group of friends, right? A group of friends, all of whom say that they're believers, you know, and who would very readily say, um, we love Jesus, and we want to love one another, right? And so this is generally how community takes place. Like, we tend to think of the body of Christ as being a place where Jesus loves us, and because Jesus loves us so much, he puts us into the church, and it's the church's responsibility um, both to, to teach me and to care for me. So I go to church on Sunday mornings, and I get taught there, and I get cared for by the people that I'm with. And that may or may not be structured, you know. So we got a group of friends that we hang out with who know Jesus. Maybe we go to church with them. Maybe we don't. doesn't really matter. But, you know, we're, we're, we're believers and there's mutual encouragement and, and good things that happen in this, in this network of friends. Sometimes we actually do formally structure this thing. We have something called a, a small group or a fellowship group or a home fellowship. You hear the word? And uh, the idea here is that this is a place where, I, give, where I, I care for my brothers and sisters and where I'm also cared for. And so what happens a lot of times is that we say, um, okay, we're going to get together and we're going to do community and we're going to love Jesus together. And so here's Jesus and... Uh, we believe in Jesus, and we love Jesus, and we might even sing some songs before we talk about each other in light of Jesus. But uh, when we get there, here's Jesus. We're all connected to Jesus. We all love Jesus. So now, well, what's going on in your life? What's going on in your life? Let's open the Bible. Let's study together. Let's pray together. Let's see what this thing's about. This is, this is Jesus. And so, you know, DJ's got a big problem, and Ryan might have experienced this problem before, and Ryan's able to speak some life and some wisdom into, uh, into DJ, and, 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 and that's great. You know, and so, uh, and, and Barry has uh, something going on in his life at, at work, and, and Vicky gives him a word about peace from God, and this is, this is fantastic. This is all working back and forth. In the meantime, in the meantime, right, here's Olivia sitting over here, whose life is literally absolutely falling apart. Right? Sorry, Olivia. This is in no way prophetic or even observational. Her, whose life is completely and absolutely falling apart. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there, there, there's, there's nothing left in her mind to, uh, to give any kind of encouragement. Relationally, things are falling apart. She feels like a horrible parent. She's not sure what to do with their finances, the bills, what's that going to happen? Where does God want us? Where does God want me? I'm directionless. All of these different things. Just boom, wait. And we're in a small group, and DJ and Ryan are talking together and getting wisdom, and Barry and Vicky are talking together and getting wisdom, and maybe Olivia is the shy person in the group. You know what I mean? Who just she comes here because she knows that she should, and it's a good thing to do, and, and we're having fellowship and community here. But in the meantime, the weight of the world, boom. Now, is it just me, or in every small group you've ever gone to, is not the weight of the world, boom, 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 on everybody, right? And so we all come to this situation very, very thirsty. And what we do is say, help me. Care for me. Care for me. I want to care for you too. 
this is a symbiotic relationship. Let's not forget that, you know. Um, so uh, if I go to a small group and all I ever do is care for people, then what do I do? I call a meeting with the pastor and I tell him something's wrong with my small group. Trust me, I've been there, right? Or uh, everything's happening and I'm the person who actually people are like receiving from. I might even be the leader of the group. But then I call a meeting with the pastor to say, man, I, I lead this group and I try and do as great a job as I can, but nobody cares about me, right? Been there too. Or what we have here is a bunch of people who just sit there and stare at each other. And that's actually better than the worst one, which is a bunch of people that get together and lie to each other. And 90% of small groups work like that. We observed this at Cornerstone about four years ago. We were trying to build small group ministry and whatnot, and we were observing from the outside, seeing what was going on, and what we saw was that this was not the fellowship. This was not what we had, what small groups had become at Cornerstone, and that maybe you've experienced in, in other ministries and places, I don't know, I know Cornerstone, is that what we had gotten ourselves into was a, 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 a place of uh, where the last thing that was happening was fellowship. What was happening, care was trying to be had, right? L- love was trying to be developed. We were trying to learn more about God together, but it wasn't, it wasn't working. It wasn't cutting it. Like it, it, it just wasn't producing the life that it seemed to us that fellowship should produce. So we just took our hands off. And we sort of, you know, played, uh, you know, a little sort of let's see what happens in this chaos of this thing, right? And so some small groups did good and, and got healthy. Other small groups ac- actually decided to stop meeting together. And we just sort of watched and asked, not, not just watching for observation's sake, but saying, God, what is it that you want for us as a church, why, why do we do this thing called small groups? Small groups took over the church in the mid-70s through the 80s and 90s. I mean, it just was the thing to do. But just because it's the thing to do doesn't mean that it's God's word for us to do. And what we were missing in this whole thing is this concept of fellowship because what actually should be happening is this. Excuse me, Megan. I don't want to lop your head off. This is how community is meant to work. So that we together are lifting up Christ with Christ in our center, right? What did the Apostle John just say? He just said, we want to have fellowship with you. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And if I had enough visuals, what we should all be doing together is bringing Christ with us to our gathering, whatever it might be. If it's a breakfast time together, if it's an official small group, if it's a conversation before bed with your wife, the whole point of having fellowship with God is to bring that with us everywhere we go. So now Barry is not engaging Vicky. Barry is engaging Christ on behalf of Vicky. It's almost intercessional prayer that's happening. And he's viewing Vicky through Christ, and Vicky's viewing him through Christ. But the essential point in this is that she's living in the light, not the darkness, and he's living in the light, not the darkness. When we all come to a small group together going, uh, I'm willing to serve, but I sure hope that I'm served, none of us is living in the light. Because that's not, that's not light. That's dark. That's love with strings attached. That's keeping record of wrong. 
So what do we do then? Right? Because we're fallen, broken people. We live in fallen, broken relationships together. I think we really want to love each other. I think we really want to experience what it is that God has for us when it comes to the fellowship, deeper devotion to Christ. The fellowship being the fact that we fellowship indeed with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. Because we are broken people, sinners at our core, we're redeemed, But the question when it comes down to it, the idea of fellowship here in Acts chapter 2, the idea that God, I think, peppers the entire New Testament with is this, is that if you do not love me, you cannot love one another. And we go to fellowship, be it with our spouses, our families, our friends, our close friends, our distant friends, our acquaintances, our small groups, whatever it might be, we go to those things and we say to them, either vocally or unvocally, you be Jesus to me. You're Jesus to me. You're the face of Christ to me. And that is a lie. Jesus is the face of Christ to you. The cross is the face of Christ to you. Next slide, please. This is what you need. That is what you need. And it's the only thing that you need. God has given you grace by his calling to place you into the body of Christ. As the body of Christ, we have the pleasure of living as people who are connected together in the body of Christ. Who, this member accomplishes this, and this member does that, and this member does this, this member does that. All of us with Christ as our head. But that's really the point. Is that what we try to do is we try to live independent of the head, still trying to be a living and vital body, and we wonder why things don't go right. We wonder why we're still left without satisfaction in our soul. We wonder why we become so short in our relationships. We wonder why this great thing called fellowship ends up just sort of being a token thing. You know, our fellowship, this is what we do here. This is what I do on on Monday night in the evening or Wednesday night in the evening or uh, for my Tuesday morning Bible study or whatever it might be. This becomes fellowship to us. God never intended it to be so. The fellowship that the apostles set up in the early church is the fellowship that is a fellowship with God. And as we are fellowshipping with God and with his son, Jesus, who made the fellowship with him possible through his cross, as we are engaging that, that is when human experiences and relationships can become life-giving. Because you're not going to anyone else saying, fill me complete me, heal me, help me even. God might use the body of Christ to meet us in those ways, but there is not a spiritual thirst in us because you are not in want. God has not left you without anything that you need. 
1 Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in want. There is nothing that we lack in Christ. And one of the most beautiful things that can happen in true fellowship is when one of us in our struggle brings a lack of Christ to fellowship with another believer and that believer sees us with the eyes of Christ and through Christ that says, you're, you need to drink. Like, you're really spiritually thirsty. You need to drink Christ. You're really spiritually hungry. You need to eat the bread. Like, you've got sin in your life. You're not seeing it. You need to see this thing the same way that God does. Your priorities are off. You spend zilch time with God building any kind of relationship with him. You know, of course you're thirsty. Of course this thing's broken. Of course this isn't having anything. Of course we have to lie to each other. Because we're lying to God. Because we're not walking in the light. When we say that we walk in the light, but we walk in darkness, we make liars out of ourselves. And his truth is not in us. The whole point together, though, is what God desires is a community of faith of people who understand that the fellowship that he calls us to is a big body of Christ thing that is all of us together lifting up Jesus. That's our fellowship. All of us, with our lives, our circumstances, our pain, our heartache, our hurt, the circumstances that we didn't want and didn't ask for, together in the name of Jesus saying, God, you are great. We worship you. This is our fellowship. You say, but what about my life? What about my pain? What about the things that I'm going through? God values that. How do you think you're going to get any perspective on it if you don't see Christ, though? You can't. You'll just see more of you. God values your pain and your story and your wounds and your hurts. He values them so much that he says, look at me. Come to me. Worship me. But we're saying, what about me? And that's the human condition, right? Because now we're back to questions of what. When the real question is why. Why do we have fellowship together? We have fellowship together in order to elevate the beauty and the supremacy of Jesus. God loves you. He loves everything about you. He values your story. He values your past. He values your future. He values where you are now. His blood covers you. His sacrifice completely cancels out sin. And the things that would want to overtake you and destroy you and sap your strength and kill your spirit, all of those things Jesus died for, which is why the only option is him he is what you need we have turned fellowship into get part of what you need with jesus in your quiet time and get the rest of what you need from your local church no we as a local church will get everything that we need from christ because he alone is sufficient and as we are receiving from him, he will lead us in what it means to love one another. 
and to be with one another in our hurts and our pains and our stories and our ups and downs. But to receive who Jesus is and to let him complete and satisfy us is what it means to have fellowship. Because our fellowship with one another is a fellowship that is with God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, we desire to think about what it means for us to be your people the way that you do, to view one another through you so that you are defining our sight, you are defining our ways. God, bind us together in Christ, looking to Christ for the sake of Christ because you are all in all. You are everything. God, each one of us in here struggles with letting other things get in the way. Other things become our fellowship. We get mixed up. We get off track. Idols come in. Our own pain screams at us that Jesus isn't enough. The hurt from our past screams at us that Jesus isn't enough. The sin that we engage the ways in which we fall short, that shame, just it's so loud. God, return us to dependence on you. That is fellowship with you. And in fellowship with you, God, fit us and call us to fellowship with one another. But God, by your grace, always make the fellowship that we engage as your body here at Cornerstone. At Cornerstone and in Lebanon, may it be a fellowship that is a fellowship that is indeed with you, our Father, and with your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.